are with the tritium rye. Carbon dioxide is high. Blood moves down to ventricle. Pumping this blood to the lungs. Oxygen for blood. in light from lanterns and candles and stuff all the way up until the turn of the century in the 1900s. And yet electricity was there from the time that there was a human being breathing on this planet. All right, guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Grimerica Show. We're going to be chatting with Howard Martin uh, a little bit later. Um, But first, as always, how's it going, Graham? Hey, Darren. Put the flyer in any cool spots this week? Uh, yeah, actually. Yeah, wait till you see. Sweet. Can't wait. Uh, and you guys, too, uh, let's see some flyer picks. I see the flyer's been downloaded in like eight or nine countries, but we're still waiting for our pictures. Yeah, so on this episode, we're talking with Heart Math, Howard Martin. And I was uh, with my buddy on the weekend, and he's got one of those biofeedback devices called the M Wave. And he was telling me about how he's trying to. <clears throat> bring his coherence into the uh, the high setting, right? And his brother can do it apparently just by clearing his mind. So he's uh he's having a hard time compared to his brother. That's his mutant power. Yeah. He's yeah. Super chill. Yeah, super chill. Nice. That's a good superpower to have. Yeah, yeah. Super calm in all situations. I'm the same way. I just have to give myself a little push. With a coherent heart frequency. Yeah, exactly. I'm just loving it. Like McDonald's, too, when I eat McDonald's. I'm loving it. So, yeah, that's a great episode coming up next. Uh, I think uh, we are sneaking uh, Don Easterbrook, uh, Dr. Don Easterbrook, into our busy rotation. We're going to do a double interview night to sneak him in uh, to talk about some global cooling. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Kind of He's Agenda 21 stuff, too. a bunch of data from the 30s, too. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'll be good. Hey, I've got some feedback, too, from a fan in Calgary. I wanted to say hi. We have fans in Calgary? Oh, we do. That's fucked up. <laughs> His name's Len Freshett, and uh, we want to say hi, and thanks for the email, buddy. Hi, Len. He's, uh, he's just finished catching up on all our back episodes, and he was uh, only recently turned on to our podcast from the Micah Hanks talk, actually, when we were on his show. So he says he's enjoyed every episode so far, his favorite being the Grant Cameron one. And he wants us to have Grant on again. And yeah, I would agree, buddy. I want to have him on again too. And he's, uh, he's actually recommended a guest, uh, Glynis McCants about numerology. So maybe we should do that one. We're pretty busy right now, but uh, we'll definitely keep that in mind. He says, keep up uh, the good work guys. He delivers newspapers three hours every morning. So he's got a lot of free time to listen to the podcast. So thanks for keeping his mornings interesting. Anytime, so you know him, you met him, or that? Uh, no, 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 just through email. Nope. Oh, cool. Yeah. Why did you say that? I was just wondering. It's Canada. We all know each other. <laughs> yeah. Just a couple igloos over. 
Yeah. Hey, I think we, we're in a couple new countries too. Hey, Greece. Welcome, Greece. Yeah. Welcome, Greece. Took, took a long a time to get into Greece, yeah. but once we got in, we whoever's there has been uh, downloading episodes like a fiend. So, and a flyer. So hopefully we'll see a like flyer on some cool Greek fucking ruins. Yeah, the Acropolis. Acropolis. What's that? Like a cat Dr. Seuss book? <laughs> so, hey, we wanted to talk about the site too, eh? Um, if you guys are interested in putting any comments on uh, every show is kind of just its own little thing on the site. Darren's done a really good job at uh, cleaning up the site, making it he nice has. and streamlined. So uh, easy to leave comments and easy to read comments. We'll go ahead and leave one. Yeah, and check out our bloggers while they're there. We got some uh, some great bloggers that have been uh, really uh, punching out some great blogs lately. So take a time to read the blogs and, and leave your comments there. And uh, actually, I think last time I begged for iTunes reviews, we actually got, I think, two or something. So Yeah, <laughs> iTunes reviews always help because it increases the uh, algorithm so that we get uh, we pop up a little quicker than we would if we didn't have any reviews and then you know that uh, gets more listeners and then we can get better guests and fascinating topics exactly so leave us a review where you can and uh, help spread the word oh we got to mention this uh, art oh yeah we're uh, yeah Hoonology? Hoonology. Hoonology uk. off the top of my head that's it's like a mind right. mirror right yeah, Barry Hoon was nice enough to send it over from UK. Came. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of review the art now because we had him on the last podcast that was released. No, we didn't. It's on this podcast. I'm gonna play the audio. Uh, I might as well play the audio right now, and then we'll come in after the audio oh. and talk about how our uh, how our little series went. <laughs> our little sorry, session. buddy. I was getting my timelines all mixed up. Here's a chat with uh, Barry. It's just about five minutes. Okay, Graham is just uh, opening it up now. So is the Mind Mirror, is it a relatively new thing? Of course, we're talking with uh, with Barry Hoon here, uh, who, who was kind enough to send us a Mind Mirror drawing. Um, is this, is this, how did you come up with the mind mirror? Is it fairly new thing, Barry, or is it something you've been working on for a long time? Uh, the mind mirrors have been, uh, I've been working on the mind mirrors for about 20 years. It started as a kind of self-help therapy and it just grew from that. Um, other people could see things in the, the doodles that I was making and it, it grew into something that I've been doing on the web for about the last three or four years. And I've suddenly started doing colour mind mirrors, uh, and that's producing a different kind of effect. And maybe you guys will be able to see something in the mind mirror that I've sent to you. Uh, this is one that I did while I listened to one of your shows, and maybe you'll be able to see some animated uh, bits and pieces in the drawing. Let's, let's see what happens. Yeah, that's yeah, that's we've, great. We've just opened it up and put it on the the table here in front of us now. Um, it's definitely super cool. Looking. Yeah, it's definitely aesthetically pleasing right off the bat. So, <clears throat> what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna follow some of your instructions here after uh, after we get off the air. We'll do that tomorrow night, and we'll uh, we'll we'll view it. You know, while we're listening to some of the same episode that that uh, you were listening to when you when you did it, and we'll see Excellent. what we'll see what happens there. I mean, it's. Uh, 
it's a great i love the whole concept and how intuitive your your art is have you seen the the, the actual video of of me doing some of the drones yep yeah on the youtube video that you sent us we watched uh we were watching that uh would have been i think about three weeks ago or a month ago because that's got a really hypnotic effect and you can see how the drone evolves and how it grows and it's it's really quite interesting yeah we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes for this episode so that everyone can check it out but i, mm -hmm. I can definitely see with it on the just on the table here in front of me right now um, right off the bat, you can see different parts of it starting to jump out. It'd be nice to get into like a transit kind of state and kind of stare at it, stare at it at the wall for, you know, 20 minutes or a half an hour. What I say to people is to sit about six feet away from the drone, relax your vision and look through the drone and let your eyes go wherever they want to go. And that way you, you might see animals, you might see people's faces, you might see landscapes. Now, is this similar to that that uh, technology and that art that came out in the in the like sort of eighties and nineties, where you <clears throat> where you look at something on the wall and then you relax your eyes and something pops out? Yeah, is it similar to that? That's happened to me a few times, and what I find is that the the, the background colors fall away and the foreground colors come forward, and it looks like the drawing's about three inches thick. Wow, and and this there appears to be movement between the layers and the levels inside the drawings, and what I can do is to, as I'm looking at the drawing, ask to be shown where my yes is, and my eyeball will move to a particular part of the drawing, and then I say, show me where my no is, and the eyeball will go to a different part, and now if I ask a question. I just watch where my eye goes, and it will start animating. Wow. So that might happen for you guys. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, people can actually order these, and, and then you'll have them shipped, physically shipped to them? Yes. Where can people uh, Where can people do that? Where can people track you down? And, of course, we're going to link to the video. We'll put a picture of the one... Uh, the one that you've uh, you were kind enough to do for us and send send over the pond and uh, where can people go if they want to uh, want to get their own people can go to hunology.co.uk and they'll see the drawing that's taking place for the current week there's a, a temporary problem just now that my pc's died uh, on friday uh, so I've not been able to complete the actual drawing that's there. But that'll, we'll be able to fix that in the next couple of days. But people can go to hoonology.co.uk. Yeah, that's great. Do, do you work on quite a few of these at once then? I can do about a maximum of 10 in a week because I'm doing 15-minute drawing sessions on each one. Right. Then I have to scan it in. Then I have to upload it to a program on the server so that it makes up the actual report for the week. Uh, so tens about the limit I can do in a, in a week. But what do you guys, are you seeing colours in, in the drawing? Are you seeing anything in, in just now? Yeah, there's lots of colours in it. I can see kind of like, uh, I'm trying to look for the tree that you could see it started out with in the video, but I'm having trouble picking it out, but I can kind of see it. It'll turn into another tree that just kind of, you can almost find anything you want into it. That's right. That's right. 
That's what I think. It's it's tough to say it's on the table, so we're sort of looking uh, over it. But mm-hmm. um, I I have a feeling that a bunch of different things are going to pop out for me. Well, if you get that candle flickering somewhere beside it, you'll find that the you'll get birds, you'll get dragons, you'll get uh, people, places, faces, and you can ask them questions, and they can animate to you, and you can you can hear what they're saying. It's really interesting what people can see in the mind manners once they're done specifically for them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Do you do you recommend putting it in a frame or anything like that, or or is there a, a preferred uh, medium for hanging it on the wall? It's 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 quite a, it's quite important to have the mind mirror somewhere nearby. So I would suggest that people pin it up in the kitchen somewhere and make a tea or a coffee. Somewhere where you can see the drawing, but you're not staring at it all day long. Okay. Uh, that seems to be the best place to, to put it. And, and anywhere, anywhere where you're going to mindlessly trance out for a few minutes, right. that's a good place to put it as well. Okay, so, and, and then putting a frame around it is okay? Putting a frame around it's fine, yeah. Okay, okay. And putting, yeah. uh, like, pinning it, pinning it to something or, or taping it somewhere is okay? Blue tack. Uh, and tape them up. Anything that can just put it wherever you want to, to put it. Uh, where the lights changing is a good, good, good thing to do. Barry, would you consider this like a, a channeled type of art? I don't know. I don't know because I'm quite empty-headed when I start. Right. I tune into the actual person that I'm I'm supposed to be doing the drawing for, even though I don't actually know who they are. Yeah, yeah. And I just mindlessly start drawing. I move when I want to move, and the drawing eventually gets completed. And at every stage, every day, there'll be a different shape or an outline, or there'll be something there that can remind that person of something. Huh, so you can cool. reframe situations. You can look back on stuff in the past. And you can let things go. It's it's interesting. That's great. I can't wait to. It's it's kind of bright in here right now, but I can't wait till tonight when it gets dark and we can really take a close look at it by candlelight. But we'd like yeah. to really thank you for coming on, Bear. We really want to thank you for the art. It's uh, it's super cool. It's the coolest thing we've had. Uh, got mailed to the show yet so we'd like to uh really thank you for taking the time and sending it over and uh we recommend all our listeners to go out and and get their own because it's i can see shit jumping out already and i'm i I haven't even barely looked at it excellent excellent thank you very much yeah you're welcome and and listen to the next episode and we'll talk a little bit more about our experience with it i'll send in my flyer as well yeah for sure beauty bye guys thanks okay thanks Barry. bye And we're back. Yeah. So how'd you like the picture? I like it. I like it a lot, actually. What'd you see? All I could really, I just kept seeing like a snake kind of weaving over itself over oh, and over. That's cool. mm. Or like some sort of scaly fucking something all tied in a knot around mm. itself. I kind of saw some weird lettering appear across the top of it. What did it say? I couldn't read it. It's Ill- illegible. The America show? No. Yeah, maybe. Or THC. Next time, uh, I definitely would have liked to spend more time with it. It's kind of weird for us because we're like sitting beside each other on the yeah. floor looking at a picture on the wall cross like leg and a candle, and it got pretty awkward pretty quick. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I'm going to get a frame for it tomorrow. So, once it's framed and on the wall, I'm going to zone out on it myself. 
I can't wait. Uh, maybe I'll take it with me the next time I go on a on a little voyage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to spend some time meditating with it too, and just really like staring at it for a while and and see what pops up. It's definitely got potential to see some cool things in there. Yeah. So everybody, uh, we'll link to Barry's site in the the show notes. Uh, it's whoology uk. I want to say. I think so. And uh, if I'm wrong, then I'm an idiot. But yeah, it'll be in the, right in the show notes. But I'm pretty sure that's right. So check it out. Uh, you can order your own prints there. And we'll link to uh, a video of, of kind of the mind mirror coming together. And uh, big thanks to Barry for uh, for sending it over. It was awful nice of him. It's yeah, like, and coming on the show, too. For a quick Yeah, exactly. It's getting, it'll be framed and on the studio wall for all of time. Well, for the next six weeks till we move studios. So we wanted to mention Christopher Ryan's uh, going to come on the show too in April, I think. So he's add add that to the list of uh, guests we got coming up. Yeah, we'll get uh, Chris on in April sometime, and uh, that's a that's a big catch. We've been kind of tossing lines out that way for a while, so it's good to finally get him on. Uh, we'll let you guys know it, uh, when it's when the, we've got a for sure date. But you guys can go ahead and start sending your questions in. I can't wait uh, to have him on. I've been listening to him on all sorts of shows and shit, and I can't wait to chat with him for a while. He's got some really cool ideas. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. Sex at Dawn. Yeah, I can't wait for his new book. Do you think he's still going to come out with it? I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully, eventually. I, know, I, think he, I have a hunch he might just bail on it. They fuck it? Yeah. We'll have to he's, ask him. Because he's got too much podcasting and stuff going on. Yeah, he's got a lot he doesn't of podcasts. any time to write. Hey, yeah, if you guys talking. haven't heard uh, his podcast, check it out. It's uh, Tangentially Speaking. Yeah. Um, it's a good one, for sure. He's a smart cat. So uh, we also want to talk about the Passport to Grimerica episode. We're thinking of doing that at the end of March. So if anybody's interested in coming on the show for a little bit, uh, kind of pretend it's like a little call-in show. That'll be our last recording uh, in the old studio. In the old studio too, yeah. so it'll be kind of before we move. Yeah, Darren's moving houses, and, and so moving we're gonna, house. Yeah, moving house up the road. You have to create another studio. If this time it'll be a dedicated studio. We didn't have that this time. Yeah, it'll be good. And of course, as always, guys, you can uh, support the show, help us pay a few of the bills around here uh, by buying shit through Amazon. Um, we say fuck Amazon a lot, but there's still a pretty good deal on most shit. And uh, a lot of users are using Amazon anyway. Uh, I know a lot of other shows have their Amazon portals and shit, but, uh, you know, throw Grammarica in the loop and use us once in a while. And we get some of that, some of the pennies that fall off their pile. Yeah, somebody besides Graham's got to be using Amazon through the Grammarica portal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Audible, we're back to pumping Audible. <clears throat> We got our link back up, so it's audibletrial.com forward slash America. You get the free book, the free 30-day trial. And if you decide to stick around, then we get a couple of bucks. Cool. Yeah, and yeah course, Audible's great. Yeah, Audible is great. I, I'm uh, in the middle of a little Johns Perkins yeah. run right now. I'm listening to, I think, three or four audiobooks at once and trying to read a couple, too. It's crazy. I get two credits a month, so that'll probably last like three months, and I'll be backlogged, and I'll have to... Yeah. It's just, but you know, one a month is a good plan. Yeah. One book a month, you know, eight hours audio to get through is not so bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to buy anything or listen to any books, you can always just go to the site and hit the donate contribute. button. Yeah. The contribute button still says donate, but we're going to switch it to say contribute. 
Yeah, I feel like we're prattling on about this a bit, but I want to, once we get enough people interested, we'll do the money bomb, the THC money bomb. So we'll give uh, 50% of, we'll give 50% of the contributions to a lucky donor. Why don't we just put a start date on it? No, right no, no, no. No, let's like wait and see how it goes. June 1st. No, no, no. Start. Let's wait and see how it goes. July 1st. No. All right. Just contribute and then we'll, we'll see. We'll decide if we're going to give any away. I don't want to give away like nothing. <laughs> how about we say if it's less than a hundred bucks, we'll give it all away. Carry, carry over. Oh, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea, actually. If it's less than a hundred bucks that we'll month, then away? we'll just give it all to somebody. Yeah, that's okay. Let's think about that. Okay. Yeah. We'll get back That's to a good idea. on that. All right. So um, I think that's about all I, we really got for now. Uh, we should probably, like, where'd you find Howard Martin? Oh, I've been interested in heart math for like five years. Oh, yeah. Didn't yeah. you have, you used to have the little fucking thing? Uh, I tried, I tried the M-Way before. I tried the M-Way before. But I met, uh, I met somebody at Greg Braden and uh, she worked, uh, she does heart math coaching and stuff, so. And you're, so you're back at her. You need so a new M wave. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get one for my uh, iPhone. Sweet. I've already checked Amazon. I want to see. I bet you I'm coherent right now. I doubt it. No. no. Think I'm all fucking glitching yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> glitching out. And I'm in turn glitching out your shit. <laughs> or maybe you're fucking on my shit. I don't think so. Oh, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. I so, see. So, anyways, this is a great episode coming up with Howard Martin, and we. Really uh, like to thank him for, for joining us. Yeah, we got a jam-packed uh, schedule coming up. Uh, like you said, guys, we're going to have... Every week for the next couple months. Yeah, Jim Her- Her- Jim, uh, Jim Harold, uh, Don Easterbrook, Daniel Estelin, John Perkins, Terry Tabando, and then uh, Tom Roberts. Tom Roberts, yeah, talking about psychedelics. Uh, not on psychedelics. Maybe maybe when we get to September, we'll do a reunion show. It'll be like an annual thing, an annual pilgrimage. Yeah, maybe. All right, so enjoy <laughs> the episode, and we'll see you on the other side. Okay, folks, in Grimerica tonight, we're going to be talking with Howard Martin of uh, HeartMath and the Global Coherence Initiative. But first, as always, how's it going tonight, Graham? Hey, Darren, I'm doing good. Super excited tonight. I've been a big fan of these guys at the Global Coherence Initiative for at least five years since I was doing some heart-focused meditation online. And we've got um, Howard Martin here, who is um, he's instr- instrumental in launching the Global Coherence Initiative 
which is really like a science-based uh, co-creative project to unite people in, in heart-focused care and intention. Um, he's, he's also the uh, Executive Vice President, Strategic Development of HeartMath LLC, and he's on the steering committee of GCI, which is the Global Coherence Initiative. And he's one of the original leaders who helped Doc Childre uh, found HeartMath way back in like nine, the early 90s. And he co-authored a book called The HeartMath Solution. And he also authored The HeartMath Method, which is an audio learning program. And he was uh, the producer of two award-winning musical recordings. So I've got a lot more, uh, you know, to read in his bio, but we'll let Howard um, tell us a little bit more about himself. And uh, it's really, really happy to have you on the show, Howard, tonight. Hello, guys. Good to be with you tonight. Thank you for having me. And I'd like to, you know, of course, say hello to you, but also to all the listeners who are listening to your podcast from wherever you are around the world. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure that um, some of the some of the people have probably heard of Heart Math and Global Coherence Initiative, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to learn a lot tonight. Yeah, let's hope so. I'll do my very best. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people. I I'm, <laughs> I I must admit, I just kind of started watching a few YouTube videos and stuff uh, the last week or so once Graham uh, informed me you were coming on. But my wife, I think, is is uh, a big fan of fan of your kind of stuff. And she, I, what was she saying? She's doing a twenty one day. She's doing a, a meditation yeah, or something yeah. like that, starting tomorrow. I think so. That can only be good for me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. that's gonna work out for you. Well, you owe me on that one. You know? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. And uh, I owe you for coming on the show and kind of explaining to me a little a little more of what exactly heart math is all about. Yeah, I'll do my best. I'll be glad to do that. So I guess we should start with that then, I guess, heart math itself, and then and then go into how that sort of plays into the Global Coherence Initiative. Sure. Well, you know, heart math, we're, in, we're an organization. We're, there's a for-profit and a non-profit. Um, we've been around, as you mentioned in, in, in my introduction, since the early 90s. Um, heart math was founded by my, my longtime friend and mentor, Doc Childry, and, and a bunch of us who've known each other now for over 40 years. And the core at the beginning was a group of us that were just interested in personal growth, expanding awareness, being better people and all that, all the way back into the early 1970s back in, in North Carolina. And so we didn't really have an ambition about being anything like an organization or being authors, any of that. It was really more of a first things first approach we took, mm-hmm. uh, just doing what we could through you know, study, reading, disciplines, trying out things, a lot of different things you know, to try to you know, to uh, understand more about ourselves, about the world, about the universe, all of that. Along the way, and not too far, you know, down that road, we began to explore heart. You know, if you read a lot of the things, just about every philosophy, religion, teaching, all of that, they end up making these references to the heart as being something really special, mm-hmm. something a lot more than a blood pump, uh, something that's the, the source of intuition and wisdom and wonderful things said about heart. We weren't necessarily, you know, touchy-feely kind of people back then, but we <laughs> recognized that there was something we probably ought to look at there. So with Doc's direction, we began um, an exploration of heart to really see what was there, what was there and what wasn't. And what we found along the way was a unique intelligence that we all have, really, a kind of intelligence that can and does lift us beyond our problems, even in the midst of the chaos and confusion that life often presents to us. And we just began to go deeper and deeper and explore that way. And, and again, we didn't have an ambition. We, we just weren't even thinking about, you know, being anything like a, an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, we just weren't that smart. You know, <laughs> <laughs> We were just, just minding our own business in rural North Carolina trying to, you know, trying to expand consciousness. Just following your heart. 
Exactly. You know, but over time, you know, the, it drew people to us and things like that. And we met folks here in California where we were, where we've been since the early nineties that had an organization, the Consciousness University, and had written books and things. And they were, you know, over time, the friendships, you know, drew their interest in wanting to do something with us. And so after about three years of consideration, you know, we finally decided we would try to form an organization. And the folks, most of the folks, or many of the folks that have been involved in that in North Carolina moved out here to Northern California, a little town in the mountains called Boulder Creek, which is uh, just right outside of uh, Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. It's in the San Francisco Bay Area in general, but in a little mountain town where primarily what it's known for is the Redwood State Parks, where the redwood trees grow. Mm-hmm. So we came here and we started literally with nothing but our heart and our ideas and our intention. And Doc had you know, certainly recognized that we were going into an era of high-speed change and that it would continue to accelerate. And when we got around you know, the, the, the turn of the, of the millennium, that things were going to be at a, a fever pitch, uh, change was going to be everywhere, the chaos and confusion I mentioned earlier would be heightened. People were going to need a system, something they could use that could help them through it. Um, we were never trying to be the big thing or the system or anything like that, but we recognized that we'd learned some things in our lives that we felt could be beneficial to others. So we formulated that into tools, techniques, and that sort of thing, and uh, wrote some books, put it out to the world, and boy, people flocked to us. Hmm. And so a lot more has happened since then, of course, in these 20-some years. And today I'm really proud of what, you know, what's been accomplished by, by the folks here, including myself, and, but everybody that's made a contribution, because we're a global organization with a huge footprint. Uh, and we have helped hundreds of thousands of people all over this planet and big institutions and mainstream organizations, and we've done fascinating scientific research, and we've developed technology, uh, lots of different things that we've done, and, and it all really came from what you said earlier. We were really following our hearts the whole way. So that's sort of a high-speed synopsis of uh, 40 years. Yeah, yeah. No, but <laughs> but you know, hopefully you know, the listeners are understanding of kind of what heart math is, but it's basically a system of tools, techniques, and technology all underpinned with scientific research designed to empower people through these changing times. Yeah, that gives us a good platform to start off with here. So part of the thing that really fascinates me and and why I was attracted to it like five years ago was I'm always uh, intrigued by where science and spirituality kind of merge. And and you guys are like right on the leading edge of that because you're actually doing some scientific research on the electromagnetic waves, I guess you could say, or, or frequency from the heart. Right. So can we talk a bit about that? Cause it's, that's something that's really tangible for people. Cause when you talk to most guys, like, and I have, I have friends of mine say, you know, I ask a friend, uh, what should I do here? And she says, uh, Oh, follow your heart. You know, like, and as a guy, like how, how can you even feel your heart? Right. How can you even connect to your heart? It's kind of intangible, but you guys have done a lot of research on, on sort of bringing this to, uh, a logical spectrum. Yeah, well, you make a good point, so I'll be glad to talk some about the research, but let me contextualize it a little bit, if I may. Yeah, for sure. We recognize that, too. When we started HeartMath back in 1991, we wanted to create a system that could have not just, you know, casual impact, but mainstream impact, you know, in helping to make this world a better place. Mm -hmm. We knew it had to be a heart-centric approach because that was our, our own experience with it. But we recognized that we had to do heart differently. Heart, as I mentioned, had been talked about for thousands of years, and it got you know, sort of relegated to the realms of philosophy and spirituality, and in many cases looked at as soft and squishy, and guys don't like it and that kind of <laughs> thing. You know, 
So we, we recognize that we better do it differently or that's where it was going to stay. And we just get written off as another hard thing out of California. So we recognize we needed to build a bridge from the spiritual and philosophical tenets of heart down to the day-to-day life of people. And the bridge we chose to use was the bridge of science. The reason we chose science is because in our society, in, in the times that we live in, science carries a tremendous amount of weight. When something gets scientifically validated, it becomes empirical. And when it becomes empirical, the belief increases dramatically. Mm-hmm. So we use science as a way of explaining heart. Now, that scientific research is huge. There's a, you know, a research team here headed by Dr. Roland McCready and all kinds of research associates around the world has created this huge amount of scientific research on a variety of different things, including heart-brain-body interactions, and, and you mentioned you know, the electromagnetic field research. We're down into now we're into epigenetics research, lots of different things that we do from a research-based perspective. Mm-hmm. And if listeners want that research, I mean, they want to dig in on that if you're you know, interested in that kind of thing, just go to the heartmath.org website. That's our nonprofit website. There's a research tab on the homepage going there, and there's just a whole body of research work there as you can study. But that's how we got involved in research. It was you know, really to build that bridge so that we could take heart out of something squishy and turn it into something real. Hmm. It's, so you're making the intangible tangible, right? So when I walk into a room and I sense this uh, kind of hostility or this negative energy, um, it could really be because people are in fear or frustration in their heart and that it's not you know, resonating and resonating in a coherent manner. So you guys have actually, you know, some of the videos that you can see on your website there, you can show, you know, kind of in a, in a visual way, how your state of mind, or would that be your state of feeling changes your, your heart field? Yeah. Well, one of the things we learned about heart is that it's more than, as I mentioned, more than a blood pump. It's actually an information processing center in our body. And it's communicating messages to the brain and throughout the entire system. There are some biological ways in which it does that through a nervous system that exists in the heart, through changes occurring in what's called a blood pressure wave, through hormones that are produced in the heart, all of that. And they're what we call hardwired biological communication pathways, well-researched, well-documented, not just by us, but by a lot of people. But one of the things we learned is, of course, something that's obvious that we all kind of know but don't think about is the heart is an electrical organ. It produces by far the strongest source of bioelectricity in our bodies about 40 to 60 times more bioelectricity than the second most powerful source, which is the brain. Wow, see, that would surprise a lot of people. Yeah, and the signal that the heart produces is strong enough that it actually creates an electromagnetic field that surrounds us, each one of us, in 360 degrees. It radiates to every single cell in our body, but it also radiates beyond the skin out into space. So this electromagnetic field radiates out from us. In the book that I co-authored with Doc Shorty, The Heart Math Solution, we reported on a clinic back then when we wrote the book, a manager, the Minager Clinic, that said they'd measured that field 8 to 10 feet outside of the body. Mm-hmm. Our researchers using what's called magnetometers, which they felt were more reliable research, it was a more reliable research method for this kind of study, say that they can stand behind 3 to 4 feet. But regardless of distance, we are creating this electromagnetic field. Now, what's interesting about that field is that it changes depending upon what we are feeling, what our emotions are. You know, electromagnetic fields are made up of frequencies. 
And so when you look at the frequencies in the field when someone is feeling frustrated, you see what's called an incoherent spectra, for example. Mm -hmm. A lot of frequencies, jagged, irregular, all kind of fighting and competing for the available power. Mm. Conversely, this is where it gets even more interesting. Conversely, when someone is feeling an emotion that has been associated with sort of the concept of heart, like let's say genuine appreciation for the good things in life, or care, or love, or those kind of feelings, the field changes. And very often it produces what's called a coherent spectra. The frequencies are working together. There's a harmonious relationship between those frequencies. They're not fighting. They're not competing. And all that's occurring when we change the emotional state. So one way of looking at it is we are literally broadcasting our emotions through this electromagnetic field. Hmm. So that doesn't totally explain why when we walk into a room, for example, we feel something. You know, we are sensing in a certain way. Right. But... But the fact is, is, if there were two people in that room and they had an argument, they could be sitting there and everything looks normal. But there was, in fact, an electromagnetic discharge occurred that occurred in that room with those people who had the fight. And somehow we may sense that. Hmm. But it gets even more intriguing, actually, because we're looking at just an electromagnetic field. We're not looking at an aura or subtle energy. It's very measurable electromagnetic energy, kind of like radio waves. But if we begin to now apply an understanding of this outside the realm of Newtonian physics, and we apply quantum physics to it, then we move to an, an information exchange that could defy what we understand logically as time and space. And that puts the heart's field in a whole different category hmm. of where does this connect, where does it go, what do we sense? And one belief that I have is that we do live in this field of energy. It's called consciousness, I guess. It's, we live in a field of energy that's constantly reflecting back to us. And what it's reflecting back is not just what we're thinking in our minds. I believe it's especially what we're feeling in our hearts. Hmm. And that's where we draw some of our perceptions about what, what reality is from, is from that field. And that field feeds back to us various information. And in that context, the heart actually is sensing information, not just sending it. So there's a lot of really cool things in relation to this kind of study and research that you know we've been involved in and that you know a lot of researchers now are beginning to look at things differently as a result of that. I wonder if it's possible that different uh, animal species that science would say are, aren't conscious are using that almost as solely as their their means of, of communication. That's a good question. I've been thinking about that lately. You know, you know, animals have this. You know, they they sense things differently. We we consider them to be less intelligent because they don't have the same sort of cognitive and emotional capacities that we do. But in other ways, they got intelligences that we don't have. They sense things very differently. And, you know, we've done some studies, you know, it's more like experiments than studies, looking at the relationship from the heart level between people and animals. And we've seen some amazing correlations. There's one, you know, one that I show in all my live shows. It's called the Josh and Mabel story. It's about a boy who, who uh, was coming to my house for a while. He's Roland McCready's son to an after-school program for heart math, you know, kids, you know, kids of the people who worked here. And I had a dog, a wonderful Labrador retriever named Mabel. And Roland observed the love being exchanged between that boy and that dog one day. So what he did was is he put a portable recorder measuring changes in what's called heart rhythms. It's heart rate variability analysis, mm -hmm. which is a really reliable measurement of, that, of the communication that is going on between heart and brain. He put one on his son, and he had him in separate rooms. He told his son to walk into the room but not touch the dog. And on the graph that I have that you see in my live shows, what you see is that, you know, the, the heart rate variability patterns are rather irregular, kind of normal irregular. 
the boy walks in the room, his pattern goes into what's called the coherent pattern, a sine wave-like pattern. And at the same time, his heart rhythm goes into coherence, so does the dog's. Wow. And then when he leaves, the dog, you can tell, doesn't like it. Her heart rhythm goes up and gets a little wild and crazy, and he goes <laughs> out of the room. And, and so what that shows is like this synchronization that took place between the boy and the dog at the heart level, through the, the, you know, through the heart, in a measurable, you know, empirical way. Not through touch or any of that, but simply through an energetic exchange that, in my opinion, is fueled by the love they had for one another. Wow. That could explain why my cat Zeus is so needy. He, he jumped on my back from like five feet away last night. Well, He's, there's a lot of things. A lot of animals have these really unique sensitivities about them. I mean, sometimes I watch these animal shows and I go, get out of town. How can that be? You know, I remember seeing something about this certain kind of jellyfish that would, you know, had a migration pattern and went all over the place. But every year at the same time on the same night, it shows back up at the same place. Yeah, How does that, a jellyfish know to do that? So there's some form of intelligence that's there that these animals possess that we don't possess. And we have a sensitivity and relationship to them, but really to nature in general. In my opinion, you know, all living systems are connected energetically, and science is starting to bear that out now. There's an energetic connection between all living systems on this planet and beyond. And some of the exploration that we're involved in now is to take that understanding further to make it even more empirical. But I think people sense that, and probably people listening right now kind of get that, and they've sensed it and had their own experiences of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talk about sort of global consciousness on, on this show quite a bit. So what, what about the scientific community when you guys started uh, doing all this research? Was it, was it kind of tough to break through, or was it a challenge? Were people kind of going, oh, not this hard stuff, or... No, actually, it was interesting. That first wave of, of, you know, of exposure that we had that I mentioned drew a lot of people to us. There were some really interesting scientists that came into the picture then. One of those was a guy named Carl Prebrum. Carl Prebrum is really, really famous. He, he's the guy, he was at Stanford for years and, you know, all that. He, he created the holographic brain theory, showing that the brain actually functions like a holographic device, not just left and right hemisphere and all of that. He's also the guy that discovered the limbic system in the brain, that area of the brain that processes all the emotional things that we do. And he was way into heart math. He was right on it, and he helped us formulate a lot of things. Another was the famous scientist from Stanford, Professor Emeritus at Stanford, Dr. William Tiller. He was involved in our early research. Another was Joe Kamaya, the father of biofeedback, the guy that named the biofeedback states. Hmm. All those guys were here. And they all helped us begin to shape some of the research and at least give us um, indications about directions to go and research protocols to use and things like that. So we didn't run into that resistance as you might would have suspected. Now, science is a big world. And what I noticed about the scientists and hanging around with these people is that they don't agree on a lot of things. They fight and squabble like anybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so there are all kinds of opinions about science. I'm sure there are scientists out there that probably don't think that, you know, they would agree with what we do. That would be normal in the scientific community. Very rarely is there even, you know, is there 100% consensus. Yeah. But what I found is that a lot of scientists and researchers appreciate what we've done. And in things that have written about us, they have said that what we have done is we have ushered in a new view of physiology and psychology all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Huh, that's great. So, and you guys have now... I guess getting into the global coherence part of it, um, you have this affiliation with them. I'm not sure how you guys are connected with the GCI, but there's definitely that that heart-focused meditation you do with uh, people from around the world. 
Yeah, it's a bunch of things. GCI, Global Coherence Initiative, is is us. It's uh, a division of our nonprofit. Right. Okay. We started it. We formulated it. And what we wanted to do is like, you know, we've been doing this for 20-some years, and it goes back about five years ago now, and we recognize it. We built this thing from the ground up, and we did it on a very solid empirical platform. But at the heart of what HeartMath is, this, we're about a spiritual connection. Mm-hmm. That's, what it was, that's what it was for us when we were 20-something years old, and that's what it still is at the deepest level. So we, were, we, we wanted to go back to some of that. We recognize that you know, we, we try to help create positive change in many ways, but there's also a top-down approach to this whole thing, which is change the field of consciousness, the field of thought and behavior and psychology and systems begin to change. It starts there. And so we wanted to, to make a contribution to changing the field of consciousness itself. And also to provide an organization where people could come together online from all over the world to use their heart-focused care and the intention behind it to, to influence the planetary field in a way that could make things easier for people. And that was the genesis of why we started a Global Coherence Initiative. Huh. Okay. Um, and there is theories that our consciousness can affect the or, – or our electromagnetic field can affect the – electromagnetic field of the earth, or at least it, it works vice versa for sure, right? Exactly. Because, you know, because it's hard math, sure, science got involved. And so what we've been doing is we, first of all, our scientists uh, working in conjunction with some other folks, former NASA people and all that, uh, created technology that can take very sensitive measurements of the earth's geomagnetic field and ionosphere. And just for the listeners, these are the earth's energetic fields. Think of them as energetic ecology, they are actually part of the Earth as a living system. The geomagnetic field is what a compass measures. Um, it's created by the spinning of the iron core at the center of the Earth. There's another field that works with it in consort called the ionosphere. It's less dense than the geomagnetic field. It starts just above our atmosphere and goes about 120 miles up into space. These two fields work together as a protective layer around our planet. If they weren't there, there would be no life of any kind here. They protect us from solar radiation, cosmic rays, solar winds, all that stuff. This is their protective shield. Mm-hmm. These fields are dynamic and constantly changing. Yeah, science knows a lot about them, but there's a lot they don't know about them. The research on it is changing all the time. One of the things they have found, however, through research, a lot of it actually, is that changes occurring in these fields can be linked and correlated to changes in human health and behavior. So you're right, there's, a, there's, that, there's an influence they have on us, and that's well documented. Everything from changes in, in heart attacks and in various disease states to uh, heightened creativity, flourishing of creative things in civilization, also the start and ending of wars, all kinds of things have been correlated with changes that were occurring in these fields. So using some good old Southern boy logic, we figured if these things are affecting us, we probably are affecting them. <laughs> <laughs> so we created the sensing, <clears throat> sensing devices to begin a long-term inquiry into the relationship that each of us has with these fields, but also the collective field of humanity itself, the, the heart fields of the 7 billion people on this planet, which change all the time, as I mentioned earlier, depending upon our emotional state. Is it possible that the collective field of us is influencing the, the geomagnetic and ionospheric fields? It's a hypothesis. We believe it could be true. Being mm-hmm. scientific in nature, we have to put it in a, hypoth- a hypothetical context, right? To look at it from a neutral place to see is it true or is it not true? 
but we believe that there's an energetic relationship between us and these fields and that we are in fact influencing these fields as well. Wow. Um, how long have you been uh, working on that for? So you've had these, uh, these sensors out across the world now for a few yeah, years. We have some, well, for a few years now we've had some, we've three or four years, I think since we started deploying sensor sites now, right. They're building a network of these things, and eventually they'll have about 12 sites, and that'll cover the t entire arc, all the, all the field from uh, you know the whole planet view. And this is a ground-based system. This is something really hasn't been done before. Mm -hmm. So it's really something that usually something like a government or a big university would do. But we've done it. We're taking it on. So we're building it in pieces as we go. Hmm. Right now there are four working sensor sites. We have one here in Northern California. We have one in northern Canada, Alberta, up, up your way. Yeah. We have one in the United Kingdom. We have one in Saudi Arabia. I just saw an email today that Dr. Roland McCready is leaving in early March to go to Lithuania to put in a fifth one. We have uh, the ability to put one in New Zealand. I was just there on a speaking tour recently, and you know we've been having a little trouble finding the right site for it down there. But it's already funded, ready to roll, and all that. So we'll put the sixth one in soon in, in New Zealand, and then there'll be a seventh one that we already have funding for that'll be placed in probably South Africa. So we're building this. But what's more important than just putting up more sensor sites is make is getting some meaning out of the data that we get. So we've had a project now where we've been getting some funding to hire extra scientists that specialize in these fields. You'll see it on the Global Coherence Initiative website. It's called Adopt a Scientist. People donate to help us pay salaries for people that can begin to analyze this data more. Hmm. So it's, um, it's not an overnight thing, believe me. And I don't know a lot of the people that, um, that I talk to that come up to me after, you know, after I'm speaking somewhere, they ask about these things. It's like the expectation is, is we can slap up a sensor somewhere and everybody stands around and prays a little bit and the needle moves. <laughs> you know? But it's so much more complex than that. Yeah. But the, but the implications are huge. So we got to take our time with this and do it right because there's a lot on the line here. Yeah. So we were talking on the show a couple episodes ago about the Global Consciousness Project. Yeah, um, Dr. Roger Nelson. Yeah. So, and I guess they have an app coming out now that um, will help uh, measure these uh, fluctuations in random number generators maybe across yeah, the globe? Yeah, I didn't know he had an app. I'm sure Roland knows. Um, yeah, I know Roger. And he and I were together speaking in an event a little over, well, not quite a year ago now mm -hmm. in, uh, mm -hmm. in Italy. Yeah. And he's got a great project, and he works with us. He's on our scientific advisory yeah, board. Yeah, that, I thought there was a connection there, yeah. Yeah, he uses what's called random number generators to, uh, to do scientific research. And what those things are, they're little machines, little computer-type devices that churn out randomly numbers and symbols. And what they've been primarily used for is statistical analysis-type research. And he was at Princeton a number of years ago, and he had a random number generator in his lab. And he would notice sometimes that this thing would start to get a lot less random. Mm -hmm. And he didn't know why. And he could have just sort of written that off and gone on about his business, but he had an intuitive insight that, wait, wait a minute, what if somehow people were affecting these things? Big leap, but he decided he would at least do you know, a form of experimentation, just begin to explore that. So he created a network of these things around the world, and he's been tracking this thing for years. You've had him on the show. You probably heard him talk about it uh, or whoever was talking about his project. Yeah. And 
And he's seen dramatic correlations to major planetary events with changes occurring at a statistically significant level in the random number generator network. And that's great. And we have random number generator networks that we work with, uh, with, with as well. We correlate some data with his data. The only problem with that is, is that it's still mystical. The reason is, is there's still no causal link between how that could be happening and the fact that it is. Right. Nobody knows why that could be, and there's no way of, this, of determining that scientifically yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of hypothesis around that as well, but nothing yet that would be considered empirical, so it remains rather a mystery. Hmm. So to me, it's extremely exciting and intriguing, but it's difficult for me to latch onto it and say, this proves something. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, so that gets kind of into your biofeedback uh, devices. I I, <clears throat> I I tried one of them out a few years ago, and well, but first of all, before I forget, I want to say, uh, yeah, Would yeah, like get it stitched in. No, like, uh, how, what was it? It was like a thing you put your finger on, I think, and it measures your. Does it measure the the heart uh, variability? Yeah, yeah, I think it's called the M wave, right? It's called the M way. Yeah. We have a couple of versions of that now, which I'll be glad to explain. But yeah, yeah, yeah on for sure. One. Yeah. yeah, through our research, we, we became experts in, a, in an area called heart rate variability analysis. Mm-hmm. What that is, is that's the subtle beat to beat changes occurring in our heart rate. It's not like measuring just heart rate like a fitness device. What it's measuring really is the timing changes that occur between every single heartbeat. So these patterns are constantly fluctuating, and many things influence them, like speech, like right now when I'm talking, or if I'm moving mm-hmm. around here where I'm located, or things like that. They're going to cause that, that heart rhythm to vary a lot. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes it vary the most, however, which researchers really didn't know until our guys dug in on it, is the emotion. You can be sitting still, not talking, and start to feel a feeling of frustration, and those heart rhythms are going to go crazy. <laughs> if you switch almost instantly... And I do this, you know, again, live from the stage and all that. Instantaneously, if you shift out of that frustrated state or that anxious state and you shift into something like appreciation or care or compassion, the heart rhythms change. And they move into this very beautiful sine wave-like pattern. The chaotic rhythm is not good for us, and it shuts down parts of our brain. The smooth and ordered one is good for us and opens the brain up. It's that simple. So once we had a big understanding of the research around this, we recognized, wait a minute, if we could train people to move from that chaotic state to that coherent state, using technology as a a way to guide that process, that could be really useful. So we created technology, uh, the versions of it that that people uh, have known for the most part are the M-Wave, and let me spell that because... Sometimes with my southern accent, they think I'm talking about Amway. (laughs) E-M-W-A-V-E. We have M-Wave Pro, which is used on desktop computers. A lot of uh, therapists, counselors, medical professionals, sports uh, people, all that use the M-Wave Pro. And it's got heart rate variability analysis. There's a patented algorithm in it that scores those heart rhythms for how coherent they are divides it into three ranges, low, medium, and high. Mm-hmm. So people use it as a training tool, you know, to begin to train themselves to learn how to shift more into high coherence. A number of years ago, we came out with a handheld version of it, about the size of a cell phone. It's called M-Wave 2. It has software as well. You can connect the M-Wave 2 to a computer, and you can see the data that way. But you also have this thing you can hold in your hand, which you probably use. Yeah, I think that's the one I used, yeah. 
Yeah, you clip something to your ear and pick it up that way, or yeah. you can put your finger on a yeah. sensor. And then it, it basically has a light at the top of the device. It can be either red, blue, or green. And red would be low coherence, which is our normal state. Blue is medium coherence, which is much improved. And then that green light means you're in the high coherence state. So the goal is to get in the green and stay there as long as you can. Mm-hmm. So those things have been hugely successful, and they've been, you know, a guy asked me yesterday, how many of these things do you think have been sold? And I said, there's over a quarter million of these things out there. Wow. And they're in over 100 countries. So where can people buy them before I forget to ask you? Artmath.com. All right, perfect. Or Amazon.com. Okay, and we're going to link to all that. Or or Amazon.com. Okay, good. Now, here's where it gets even cooler. Um, Last summer, we came out with the same exact technology, but but it looks different. It's even prettier. Same technology, same uh, heart rate variability analysis, and same coherence algorithm scoring for handheld mobile devices, iOS devices, Apple devices. So you can have it on your iPhone or your iPad or your iTouch. You buy a sensor from heartmath.com or amazon.com. You plug it into your phone, and now you got the whole thing right there on your mobile device. Oh, okay. And that's what I use all the time. And we developed a, a cloud technology on the back end that's, that, that, that takes all the data from whichever device you use. It creates a page for you where you can see all of your data, all of your progress, all of your scores. And when you hit certain levels, like if you've got a certain amount of coherence points or you've used it a certain amount of times, it, you, know, you automatically get this little email that says, you just used your, your device for the 500th time. Here's a badge for you. <laughs> all those kind of things. And social networking components built into it. So now we've taken the same technology into the mobile space. Oh, that's great. And that's what I use most of the time now. I use my, it's called Inner Balance Trainer. You download the app for free from the Apple Store, and then you get a sensor to operate it. It says Inner Balance Trainer. And these things are great. And I, I, I think they, they just have helped so many people. So uh, are you? Techno- well, technology that's good for us. Yeah. So is someone like you who's been in this, uh, for, for over 25 years, are you like mostly rolling around in the green or blue or like how, like, can you be green all the time? Is that possible? <laughs> I thought you well, meant money for a sec there. <laughs> no, not money. I'm rolling, I'm rolling around the green right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, you know, the, the goal is really not to be in high coherence all the time. The goal is, is to be able to shift into that state when you need to. Ah, yeah. Yeah, the awareness. When life, to, yeah. when life starts to beat you up a little bit, or you want to get on, you want to get an extra edge so you can be at your very best. Just, just use the device for a little bit, sit back and shift into the, into the high coherent state, get in the green. There's a regenerative effect that comes with that. There's health improvements that are associated with it, sleep improvements, lots of different things, and you, you use it to to learn how to move into that state more easily. So you, what happens is, is your natural coherence baseline does increase. Mm-hmm. So it helps me, but let me just put this in context for everybody. I'm on the planet like everybody else going through this era where change is happening at an unprecedented pace. I have to deal with stuff too. So I don't walk in and walk around all the time in this perfect place where I'm just feeling peace and love for everything. You know, I have my ups, I have my downs, I have my good days, I have my not so good days. That's part of life. So to me, it isn't about getting any of this stuff perfect. It's about how quickly do we bounce back. Mm-hmm. How resilient are we? How can we move in and out of that state more readily? Because life is going to be life. And a heart-centric approach to me and more heart-based you know, heart living is the way to go. 
and that can make things certainly a lot easier. But then again, we've still got life going on and we have to deal with those things. That's funny because uh, when I was meditating in the GCI Global Care Room, like probably four or five years ago, I wasn't using um, the biofeedback device like the M Wave, but I was definitely, you know, in this heart centered uh, meditation. When I think back on that period now of my life, um, that helped me quite a bit. Like I was going through quite a bit of stuff back then, different, uh, all different kinds of life challenges. And uh, when I look back, that was like, kind of a calm in, in a storm, like a peaceful part of my life. And now I, I kind of link it to uh, actually focusing on my heart in that environment. So, yeah, thanks. Well, we all learning, you know, to me, what that the whole thing about heart boils down to, you simply said, it's my own best friend, really. So <laughs> base- where I find that self-security, where I find that, that sense of peace in the storm. You know, that, that all comes from the heart to me, you know. And that's the best part of it. The science is really interesting and important, and it builds that bridge that I talked about earlier. But where it comes down to is, does it help me or not? You know, and I can just say for me personally, I wouldn't be sitting here on tonight having the honor of being on your show if I hadn't taken a heart-centric approach. So I, I guess what I'm kind of picking up is it's almost basically taking consciousness and, and putting it putting it as coming from the heart. When we talk about heart intelligence, you know, it's a, it's a part of our intelligence capacity that we all have. Most of the time it shows up randomly, but we can certainly have more of it when we learn about it. But it's that part of our intelligence that is more intuitive. It is more high speed. It is that place that we try to get to when life is tough, and we try to dig a little deeper to find some meaning or find some solutions. Where what we're looking for is something we already have. It's the intelligence of the heart. So it's a state of consciousness in a way, yeah. It's certainly what it is. But it's something that's got a real bottom line pragmatic thing to it. It it, it has its, its uh, expanded and sometimes mystical side to it. But at the same time, it just helps give us the type of direction we need to have you know meaningful lives and to stay out of the stress bath as much as we sometimes uh, get in it. So, I, I, so go ahead. Um, go ahead, Darren. So in theory, if somebody had like, uh, say, we get to the point where I can just where they they can three D print or a robot heart. And throw it into gram. Um, what sort of like? What do you think he would lose emotion and things like that? Do you like? Do you think he? Do you think a human could function then if we're connecting this much value or this much importance to to the 
fields and whatnot created by the heart. Is it possible that even if we could make a fake heart, we still couldn't live? Yeah. Well, there's mechanical hearts now. We know about that, right? And I Is think like anybody, anybody may have one. I'm not down on that. It's a personal choice kind of thing. But mm-hmm. when you get all the way down to mechanical heart, basically all you, what you have is a, is a blood pump, something to keep you alive. So it's got to – I don't know. I, I can't – obviously, I don't have one, so I can't speak from experience. But my feeling is you've got to have lost something there. I mean, it doesn't mean we can't still feel emotion. And emotion happens in other parts of the body, not just the heart, for sure. Right, right. So there's an emotional experience that we still have, but it's got to be a loss of something really, really important when we go down to the level of a blood pump and take away something at the physical level that – you know, this certainly has a lot more than, than just the pumping capacity. Is there people actually, uh, can people be conscious and living on a blood pump? Is that happening? Yeah, I mean, there's people out there walking around with these mechanical hearts that are still have some form of life. They're still existing. They're still functioning in some way, I guess. I didn't even uh, know that was out there yet. Yeah. Huh. Fully, yeah artif- full, fully artificial? Yeah. Huh. But there's not a whole lot of it. I mean, it's just a, a tricky thing. A lot of times, um, things that I've read, I'm certainly not an expert on this, but things that I've read, a lot of times the body rejects it. And they, you know, they can only live a little while with them. You know, it gives them, you know, some more life. And I guess that can be meaningful for people. I think, you know, I don't know. I'm not faced with that choice. But hypothetically, if I was, I'd probably say, no, thanks. I'll, I'll move on, you know. <laughs> move on to the next level. <laughs> you know, so, check, check out another place. <laughs> so how do you... Uh, this is a tough question in a way, because if for all the people out there living in their heads or, or focusing on the future or the past and that, that have a problem centering in their heart, because it is intangible. Like it's, it's difficult for me when people say, Oh, you know, follow your heart. Like, or even when I'm in meditation to try and focus on my heart, like, do you have any tips or how people that can get into their heart? Like, is it just an easy as thinking, thinking and feeling love or compassion or? Well, that's a good start right there. Certainly activation of more things like more care for people that's genuine and really appreciating the good things we have in our life. All that stuff helps. There's a whole system of tools and techniques, which is the part of heart math. It's probably the most important, actually. It's, just, it's tools that are simple to do and techniques for various things, everything from you know, uh, decision-making to regulating emotion to project planning even. You know, there's a lot of applications there. And that's what's embodied in our training programs and things people learn. And... Uh, you know, there are things we can, if you go to either website, heartmath.org or .com, there are things there that are free that people can get, tips and things like that, all over the sites. Uh, we also have training programs, you know, that we do. And we also have programs that train trainers, where trainers can, can take the HeartMath information, deliver HeartMath workshops and training programs, or embed modules from our training programs into what they already do. So there's a, a whole training component side to HeartMath, which is really essential. We can talk about the science. The science builds the bridge. It provides the respect and the understanding. But to your point, what do you do? Just read a book about science? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You need to find ways to implement it. Yeah. So the skill set yeah. that is embodied in the heart mass system is where we take that information and we put it into, into practical applications for people so that it can have a positive influence on their lives. What, what I really like about it is it's, it's kind of like the whole – spiritual, I don't know if axioms are the right word or whatever, but about, about being the peace or the change that you want to see in the world yourself, right? Like it's kind of about taking ownership over your own state, right? I love that part about it, how it's just, it's just, you know, forget about what other people are, you know, doing or feeling around you, like take ownership over your, your heart. 
Yeah, it's about empowerment. It's about people making choices now. Um, we're, we're an interesting era. We're collectively and individually, we're making choices that have a lot to do with the future of our, for ourselves and of the world itself. And so it's, it's really taking a step back, slowing down the, the racing mind and the jacked up emotions, getting a, a connection to that part of ourselves where the heart's intelligence resides, and then taking it from there. Uh, making decisions as best we can that we think are going to be beneficial not only for ourselves but for the whole. And so that's an empowered process. And more and more people are coming into that now. Mm. Awareness is changing. Awareness is growing. People are getting on to some things within themselves. All HeartMath has done is bring a component to it and put some science around it to give it context. Mm -hmm. But the shift that's going on in consciousness is a great big old shift, way bigger than us. Yeah. And it's happening all over the planet, and there are a lot of good things. You have great guests on your show. I'm sure you hear a lot of wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of things happening out there. We're just doing our part, trying to, um, you know, to, to bring something to the world that we think can be helpful right now. I've got a, uh, a couple of questions from our, our Grimerican regular uh, Red Pill Junkie. Okay. <laughs> um, he uh, His first one is... Um, what are your thoughts on the concept of genetic memory and how it would uh, tie into heart math and, and can the dreams and, and experiences of our ancestors influence, I suppose, our, our, our own? Well, it's not my field, really. I think that, you know, genetics is an interesting field. Um, you know, it's, it, I was with um, another author named Bruce Lipton recently. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, we, we wanted doing, to have him on the show, actually, yeah. Yeah, you know, we were doing the tour together, speaking tour, the two of us in Australia and New Zealand. <laughs> I got him about three weeks ago. And his whole thing is the genes are there, but they're not controlling everything. That They're expressing based upon what we do, our environment, our emotional state, that we're calling the shots on our own genes. The genes don't predict a whole lot. You know, that there's a, you know some things they predict, I guess, physical things or whatever, but beyond that, the, the gene expression, he's saying not even is depicting disease properly. It's, it's, it's what we do that causes certain genes to activate or not activate. Now, in the field of epigenetics, what is being studied there is what's above the gene, in a sense. They're looking at the subtle energy component of genes. That, you know, everything has got an energetic field uh, um, associated with it, including something as small and tiny as our genes. Epigenetics is studying this field. Now, what information is in that field? I don't know yet. Hmm. Maybe there is ancestral information in that that influences us in some way, that brings to something, something to us that, uh, about what's taken place before in our genetic lineage. That's a possibility. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not true. As I, as I said before, I, I tried to answer this gentleman's question that it's not my field. But I guess there's a, a possibility that there's a lot more information of some kind being stored in the subtle energetic component of even our DNA. And that is something that's, that will be explored as we move into the future. Hmm. Okay. And his next question. Was, <laughs> more for uh, Red Pill Junkie? Yeah. <laughs> uh, his next question was, is, uh, if, if money wasn't an object, um, what would be uh, some sort of grand experiment that could... Uh, further our understanding of heart consciousness? Well, I would think, here's one, you know, this, was, this would be like a trifecta slam dunk. <laughs> Let's say you have, you have um, heart, heart rate variability technology like the inner balance trainer. It's all network and link so that we can look at collective heart rate variability from lots and lots of people. 
that we have people doing hard-focused intention things, and we're collecting all that information from the entire group. It could be hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. That we correlate that with changes that could be occurring in the Earth's energetic fields. And then we take it back down the other side of that triangle, and we correlate the changes that we see occurring in the fields while the people are generating more coherence, which is being measured through the technology. We correlate those two things with changes that are occurring in society. What that would show is that we can influence society in a positive way, that we are getting more coherent, we're making our energetic contribution. It's impacting the geomagnetic and ionospheric fields in ways that then feed back down into society. We know they have an effect already, but they're feeding back down into humanity and society in ways that benefit people. Wow. Be the change. Yeah, that's a great question from Red Pill Junkie and a fantastic answer. I could actually picture the picture the whole thing. Yeah. So, so I've so, got... Yeah, if money was no object, that's the kind of thing we'd like to do. Um, and we will get to that someday. But I'm just saying that that's a big, big... That's a huge experiment. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the one thing about Global Coherence Initiative is, like I mentioned earlier, we got to do this right because there's a lot on the line. Well, here's what's on the line. Jack Canfield said it to me, you know, the author Jack Canfield one day really well. He said, Howard, I think this could be probably the most important experiment in the history of the world. And I said, why do you think that? He said, because if this proves to be true, what you will show is something, a scientific understanding is something we all believe, but we just believe it. And that would be this, that all of our thoughts, our prayers, our intentions, our affirmations, our meditations, all that stuff really do count. Yeah. That they really have an impact that can be shown and measured. He yeah. said that would be pretty big. That would be a paradigm shifter. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And understanding, uh, understanding life. It would shift everything if that proved to be true. So there's a lot on the line there. Yeah. Couldn't they just play that off as... Uh, our consciousness doing it though like is there a way that we can specifically correlate if it comes down to the like when it gets to the point and i think that it will probably you know in the, in our lifetime the point that we can understand that our thoughts or our consciousness somehow affects our our you know we're yeah. along the lines yeah. of the placebo effect and everything else i think that discovery is inevitable is there going to be yeah. a, a way to distinguish between the two, the heart and, and the brain, which one is actually controlling our consciousness, or are they two separate? It doesn't really matter, I don't think. I think what, what's important there is that we are an integrated system. Heart, brain, and body are not in co competition with one another. It's, they're working in consort. When I talk about heart intelligence, I'm not eliminating or claiming better than what the brain does. The brain's this magnificent thing. What I am saying, however, is that the brain is not the only source of intelligence in our body. And we even know from the research that the brain gets information from the heart that's essential for the brain. Mm -hmm. brain, function, brain function is critically dependent upon information from the heart. So we're an integrated system. It's all one thing. But when we begin to look at things like heart and not just see it as something pumping blood or something we think about you know, a couple times a year like Christmas and Valentine's, then we put it in another world, and we begin to integrate those systems in a way that produces a wholeness of intelligence that, that's, that's pretty interesting. There's even theories that say that heart and brain are just physical components. When they couple, we actually have a, 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 what's been called a third brain, which would be an, a, a, an information processing system that's outside of the body. Wow. Well, yeah, like, a, it, like an etheric computer, in a sense. It's weird, too. It's because, like... Um... 
with my with my brain or with my consciousness, I can physically stop every everything. Like I I can I can breathe unconsciously, but I can also stop myself from breathing consciously. But I have absolutely no control over your heart, my well, heart. Except you do. I can't stop my did, heart. Yeah, for yeah you, well, you can't stop it. But I can you speed could, it up and slow it down. No, you maybe. could make it more coherent. Well, you yeah, yeah, slow it down and you can control the rhythms that make it either make it speeding up and slowing down either chaotically or with a nice consistency. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what was interesting. A, a quick story on that was when when we started heart rate variability research, we were in touch with with the father of that, a guy named Dr. Donald Singer at Northwestern University, and he said that heart rate variability, the changing rhythmic patterns of the heart were an involuntary response we had no control over. Oh. He came to our research labs, we showed him by bringing someone in, sitting them down, and putting them through different emotions and asking them to change those rhythms that they could be changed. He was blown away. He had never thought of that before. He'd never seen it before. What, what took place after that was real important for us because he co-authored a research paper with our scientist that was published in the American Journal of Cardiology in 1994. We could never have gotten that, that paper published if Donald Singer hadn't be a, been a co-author on it. Mm-hmm. But he's the father of heart rate variability, so we got it in there. When we got that that, that uh, um, American Journal of Cardiology published research paper, that was huge for us. Yeah, because it it gave us a solid credential that the research we were doing was solid and real. It was published in one of the most prestigious journals on the planet. That came from Dr. Donald Singer coming to the realization that we, in fact, could control our hearts, that heart rate variability, the rhythmic beating pattern changes in our heart were not just an involuntary response. I wonder if, like, is it possible that it's all coming from the heart and the brain is just some sort of, you know, Hardware? control center taking, taking, it's almost like instinct. It takes it's care kind of, of, it takes here's, care here's of everything else. This is controversial, I know, but I'll lay it out on your That's show. That's okay, here's yeah, I, yeah. Here's what I think. I think that the brain is this magnificent information processing system. It's constantly taking in tons of information. It's pattern matching that information. It's sorting it. It's analyzing it, and it's storing it. But the information that it's getting is coming from other places. Hmm. The heart is taking in information from a field of consciousness that, that the brain does not pick up on. Mm-hmm. It sends it at super high speed to the brain where we experience it in our thoughts and our feelings, and so the brain's getting credit for it. But to me, the impetus for that information, the entry point in our system for that higher vibrational uh, consciousness is happening at the level of the heart, not the level of the brain. Wow. Okay. So I've got a that's question. Just, my, that's according to me. So yeah, yeah. no, that's, oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's I've interesting. Got a question I, I've got to sneak in. Um, if you're not, if you if you don't answer it, it's perfectly okay. Um, but so, is it possible that uh, substances like psychedelics and that are having more of an effect on our heart than our head? Um, I probably would say no. I probably, you know, what those psychedelics are probably are doing. I mean, and they're they're changing brain chemistry you know, the actual chemicals that are functioning within the brain. Um, and that causes different brain, parts of the brain to do different things, activate differently, et cetera. And we have those experiences that are, you know, triggered by psychedelics. I don't know what effect they have on the heart. Um, I just don't know that. But I do know that changes in the, you, know, you basically, a psychedelic is taking a chemical and placing it in your body that begins to, to create, create a different reaction in the brain itself. 
Yeah, I know because I, I know myself and other people have often speak of uh, experience, extreme euphoria, love, love feelings of love, uh, and things like that. Yeah, that's all part of it. Yeah, and certainly, I guess heart plays a role in all that. I haven't really thought about that, and it's not. I wonder if I'd be a green. I yeah, should, I you should bring your sensor over, <laughs> and the next time I I go for a journey, I'll see if I go green. You check it out. Use your uh, get an M wave. Okay, we, we will. Heartmath yeah. dot or Amazon dot com. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and as always, go through the uh, the America America portal. Amazon portal. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what's in the future then? What's in the near future? Um, any uh, technological developments, or um, are you continuing on with the the global sensor plan? Yeah, that's all unfolding, and certainly you know more epigenetics type research for us. Uh, you know, having more reach with our training into the world, we're redoing some things in our training business now. And again, the thing that I mentioned earlier about people being able to be heart math trainers, that's new for us. We haven't let people go do that. We have a coaching program we've had for years, and there's thousands of heart math coaches around the world. But now we've expanded that and saying we'll let you use it in your workshops and your training programs. That's There's a business reason for that, but there's also a mission reason for that, Mm -hmm. which is to get more and more people trained. Yeah, yeah. And we can't do it all ourselves, so we're we've been starting that this year. Um, Certainly, more development of the mobile technology things that we're doing, and partnerships that we're getting involved in now, which I can't tell who they are, but you know, with major players in in the in the consumer space. Um, around the use of our technology and various things that they're doing. So the partnerships and the strategic, you know, partnerships are a big part of what we do. Expanding our trainer capacity through having really well-trained, valuable trainers in the field out there. Continue with our research in the field of, of looking at the, the global, uh, you know, things we've talked about earlier, the relationship between us and the planet energetically, and then taking on down into looking at the epigenetic studies around what's going on with the DNA at the, at the energetic or frequency level. Those are the kind of things that we're sort of most in, involved in right now, and uh, that's plenty. It's, just, it's keeping us pretty busy. Do you think, uh, could you put a, a rough, like, do you, do you see it happening in the next decade or, or two decades that it'll be, you know, kind of mainstream understanding that, that you know, we're thoughts and, and intentions and feelings and all that matter a lot more than, than we give them credit for now? Yeah, I absolutely do. I think it's happening very quickly, actually. Right. And I think, you know, a decade from now, it'll be very different. The speed of change is moving so fast now that yeah. it's moved beyond our linear projections of what can be. And it's happening faster in so many ways that just defy logic, in a sense. And so that's happening. And in a decade from now, my God, you know, it's going to be a different world. Um, 20 years from now, probably unrecognizable. And that's a very hopeful perspective. I understand that. I'm not ignoring the problems that we face today, but mm-hmm. I believe that we're moving into new consciousness now that, that's going to give us the ability to see into some of these problems and come up with solutions that we just don't see yet, but they're there. Well, I think if and people think, can, can figure out that, you know, all the starving people who are fucking bitter at life because they're fucking starving are affecting their general, you know, life, then it, people would be more inclined to, you know, love thy neighbor would be, would mean a lot more in a selfish well, kind of roundabout way. Well, that's true. And I actually agree with you on that. I think that uh, the abject poverty is one of the biggest social issues that we have because it fuels so many other things. It's sort of a hinge point that creates things like terrorism and ecological issues and things like that. It comes from like from people just not having enough. Mm-hmm. And I was doing some, 
you know, looking on in, in studies and things prior to my to putting together my my talk for this year, which is called New World Now: The Science of Heart Connected Living. So I was looking for research on things that would show that there's positive change occurring, and I found some things that were very interesting. But what I also found was some very discouraging things, like poverty. And I, and I found a statistic that blew me away that said 80% of the world's population is living on less than $10 a day. Wow. Yeah. They don't have much, right? And you've got 1.5 billion people on this planet that only have enough just to keep themselves alive. They don't have good housing. They don't have enough food. They don't have clothing. They don't have you know, health care. None of that stuff's available for 1.5 billion people. That's got to change. And when you look at it from a, a linear perspective, you say, well, it, you know, there's not enough resources on the planet for people to have that. There's going to always be people who just don't. The, the planet itself can't handle it. Well, I think that's true looking at things through the lens we have today. It's undeniable through the lens we have today. But at the same time, what are we not seeing that could solve that problem? And let me give you an analogy of something that changed the world more than anything that's changed the world in a really, really long time. That was there all along, but nobody saw it until about 150 years ago. That was electricity. Yeah. We wouldn't yeah, have cars analogy. without electricity. We wouldn't be on this show without electricity. There would yeah. be no such thing as a computer. We lived in the planet lived in in our in light from lanterns and candles and stuff all the way up until the turn of the century in the nineteen hundreds. And yet electricity was there from the time that there was a human being breathing on this planet till the time it was finally discovered and harnessed. Yeah. So I take that that's an that's an energy source, but let me take that analogy and say looking at something like solving poverty, what are we not seeing? Not necessarily technology, but what are we not seeing today that's right in front of our face that could solve that problem and yeah. could give people enough food and shelter and water and health care? I believe that we will see those things as consciousness expands, and I believe that it's through the heart that that consciousness will evolve in the most dynamic ways that will give us an understanding about the love and care that's needed and how to manifest that in intelligent ways to solve world problems. That's what I'm trying to say, and that's what this, what this show really is about for me, is that message right there. Wow, that's a fantastic way to, to finish off the show. Um, we'd really, really like to thank you, Howard, for, uh, for joining us and, and uh, enlightening us and going over all this stuff. It's really fascinating research. We're gonna show. We're gonna link to uh, all the websites and everything in the show. Is there anything else that you'd like uh, people to know about? How to get a hold of you, or um, any you know anything else uh, social media wise? Well, yeah, there was well, yeah. There's a there's a Facebook fan page for Heart Math, and, and also the Institute of Heart Math, which is the nonprofit part, and then the regular Heart Math one. We've got a couple hundred thousand Facebook fans there. Join that and get involved that way. Uh, Go to the Global Coherence Initiative website, glcoherence.org is the, is the URL for that. But just look up Global Coherence Project Initiative, excuse me, and join. It's free and become part of that. That's a way to get connected. Um, I, rec uh, I recommend the technology, uh, the M-Wave or the Inner Balance Trainer. We've talked about those. And if you're a person that, that does training, that likes to train, that likes to do workshops, or you're a corporate trainer or something that goes into institutions and wants to add a, a very powerful component on resilience and coherence building and things like that, then go to the sites and look. Go to especially right now heartmath.org and click the training tab and find out about how you can become a HeartMath trainer. All those things would, would put you in a position of, of connecting with us and at the same time, you would be part of something where you would be 
you know, I, in a way, you're really helping us to bring about a more heart-expanded world. Fantastic. Well, well, we'll make sure we have all that stuff in the show notes, and we encourage our listeners to to check out the heart math a little fur- further, and I'm sure uh, most of them will. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, and, and uh, you know, maybe we can have you have you back on down the road, and you can you kind of let us know what's new. That would be great. But thank you guys for having a show like this and uh, for getting information out to the people. It all really helps and counts. And I know it's uh, something you guys have to do. It's not just doesn't happen poof. You have to put effort and energy into it. So I appreciate your contribution there for, for having a show like this. Hey, that was our episode with Howard Martin of Heart Math and the Global Coherence Initiative. Um, that was like one of my favorites. I love it. Can't wait to buy the uh, biofeedback M-Wave or the M-Wave Plus. I can't remember what it's called. The M-Wave Pro maybe for the iPhone. Nice. Yeah. yeah bring it by. I want to see. I want to test out my coherency. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, a good ep- episode for sure. I was surprised. I was kind of, I'll be honest, I was kind of going into this, my, uh, I was fairly skeptical on some of it coming in. Skeptical? Or not, maybe not skeptical, maybe just a little iffy. Yeah, I don't know. But, maybe. But uh, it was good. I liked it. I, uh, it, was, uh, it wasn't what I expected. But, yeah, that's uh, good. I liked no, it. That's I liked good. it. Yeah, he's a smart cat. I'm looking forward to you know maybe meditating with uh, one of these machines, like 10 minutes a night or something, and learning how to train my train my self my heart and my body into coherence it kind of on demand how much is it i got a meditation machine in my uh, trunk of my car what is that it's a louisville slugger oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was gonna be that or a, a bong or something <laughs> oh that too I, that's i wouldn't have that in my car i would have that in my car no, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you tracked Howard down and brought him on the show. Of course, we'll link to all the uh, heart math and all that cool stuff we were talking about uh, in the show notes, and hopefully have Howard on again. You know, down the road and yeah, this where is where at. this is where the science meets the spirituality, buddy. This is where it's all at. That's the intersection. Grimerica's yeah. the intersection of science and spirituality. Heart math. Oh, heart math yeah. is, and that's kind of us. Heart math in Grimerica. There yeah. we go. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, so big thanks to Howard for coming on, and especially since we kind of, uh, there was a bit of a mix-up, and we kind of caught him off guard. He wasn't expecting our call. Yeah, and, and what and a he, sport. Man. Yeah, and he, he jumped, still, yeah. still did the interview uh, flawlessly. Yeah, it was it was great that he did that. Thank you very much, Howard. Um, other than that, we got a jam-packed lineup com- coming up, like we mentioned in the intro, guys. So be sure and uh, email in, our, in your questions and your general feedback, suggestions, all that shit to Graham at GrahamAtGrimerica.com. Uh, just like, let's let's email bomb Graham no, no, no. for the next week. Let's see how much. I want Graham to be complaining no, no. to me about all the fucking bullshit emails he's getting at GrahamAtGrimerica.com. That's D-A-R-R-E-N. G-R-A-H-A-M at Grimerica.com. All right. And then we'll link to everything in the show notes. 
Be music brutal. and everything else. Yeah, uh, as always, guys, we'll, uh, we'll have links to everything you heard in the show notes. Uh, this episode is kind of short and sweet, so uh, nice for a change. Yeah, no kidding. Thanks, man. Um, well, oh, yeah, look for a bonus episode. We'll be popping out a bonus episode probably, so next week will be a double episode. Uh, or no, you know what? The bonus episode probably came out before this one. So, well, if you haven't heard, seen the bonus episode come out already, uh, it'll be coming out soon. Uh, John Wards and Scotty Roberts live from uh, the from a boat. They were on a fucking boat yeah. in the be, Nile. Be patient with us. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Okay, man. guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.